This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Episode 245, Talking Buffalo Podcast. What's going on, everyone? How you doing? Hope all is well with you. Thank you very much, as always, for continuing to listen and download, support this show. It truly means a lot to me. If you have not yet subscribed, please go ahead and do that right now. Rate and review. That kind of stuff really helps me continue to grow this show. And I'll tell you what, another way to help me grow the show is by having very good guests on. And I am very, very excited about today's show. And that's because I have on one of my all-time favorite guests, in the history of this podcast, Bruce Dolan's going to join me in just a minute. And I'll tell you what, over the past year or so, Bruce has become not just one of the best Bills podcasters out there. That's easy enough to say. Everybody knows that. But I think, and this is equally important to me anyway, I think Bruce has become one of the most trusted voices when it comes to talking Buffalo Bills. I've had him on the podcast a good number of times now. And to be completely honest with you, I'd have him on every week if I could. I don't ever get bored talking to Bruce, and I know listeners never get bored hearing from him. Now, of course, Bruce is host of the Bruce Exclusive Podcast. That show drops Thursdays and Fridays on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. And Bruce has built himself up a really solid show, man. Good following. And at this point, I asked Bruce to come on mainly when I have something specific that I want him to be able to dig into, something that I think he could do better than most, certainly better than me. Uh, Last time, it was a couple months ago when I had Bruce on the show, I had him discuss what active NFL players would end up making the NFL Hall of Fame if games at that point in time cease to exist and there would never be another game. Who'd be in the Hall of Fame? It was a really fun exercise we did. Hopefully today's exercise, that'll be fun and productive as well. What I asked Bruce to do for today is to put together a list, a power ranking, if you will, of the top 20 current Buffalo Bills, 2020 Buffalo Bills, not the all-time Buffalo Bills. And anyone who knows Bruce knows that when you give him a task, he's going to take it serious. And certainly that'll be the case today. First thing Bruce asked me is, well, what's the criteria? Frankly, I hadn't really thought him out. I said, I'll tell you what, you come up with uh, what the criteria is going to be. So I'm going to list the three things that he came at me with as criteria. And then after that, I'm going to jump right into the segment because today's show is definitely packed. Uh, his methodology, three things for putting together his power rankings. Number one, he has positional importance that has zero weight, meaning the effectiveness of the player relative, and I'm reading this off here, to their same position around the league is what is utilized. An example would be if we were still in the era where Brian Mormon was one of the top hunters in football, he would be high on the list despite the relative value of punters versus other positions. Number two, he has no rookies, meaning this list is based on players who have currently shown enough ability to be ranked amongst their positional peers 
around the league. Obviously, any incoming rookie has not yet had that opportunity, so they can't be on the list. And then last but not least, no projections of ceilings. This is a list of, I'm sorry, this is not a list of what may be. This is a list of what is. I've yet to hear it. This is going to be very fun, so no more explanation needed here. Let's just jump right into it. Here it is, my chat with Bruce Nolan. All right, I'm joined right now by one of my favorites, one of my favorite guests I've ever had on this podcast. He's been on many times now. Recurring guest, Bruce Nolan. What's going on, Bruce? How you doing, buddy? Dude, I'm rocking and rolling. How about you? Doing pretty good, man. I'm, I'm doing really good. And we got a packed show today, and I don't want to spend a lot of time small talking, but I do want to ask you one thing unrelated to this list. Now the excitement of uh, the season, is it starting to kick in for you yet? Now there's training camp. Now you're getting to watch videos from practice. We saw some on Monday. You know, it's one thing to, you're creative, you're a creative person, and you're doing two shows a week right now. Your show drops Thursdays and Fridays. But anyway, you kind of got to fill these weeks with interesting content, but you can't really talk about anything that you're seeing with your own eyes in terms of training camp or games. But now that's getting ready to change. So it's kind of like a, is it like a new gear for you? At least maybe not quite yet, but that's coming like real soon. It's weird. You know, there's, there's part of me that thinks, oh goodness, thank goodness. I don't have to generate my own content anymore. I can let the, I can let the team do it for me. And then I thought at the beginning of this, that there was a possibility that we might have to go even longer with no football. And so I prepared just an absolute metric ton of content for that kind of thing. And now, now that football is upon us, I'm like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I I ran out of time. (laughs) I ran (laughs) out of time. I still have good ideas left. So I guess they'll have to wait till next off season. But I think, I think that I can forgive football and I think I can forgive the bills for doing this to me uh, as long as they promise to win a Super Bowl. (laughs) Simple as that? Yeah, just easy. You know, no big deal. (laughs) You've become quite the, uh, I want to say a podcast celebrity in terms of local, at least Buffalo Bill stuff for certain. I mean, you're kind enough. You've been on this podcast at least five or six times. I hear you a lot on Joe Marino's show, Locked on Bills. I hear you doing um, Greg Thompson's podcast on Cover One. I just heard you a week or two ago doing Joe Miller's podcast, a guy that I really like. And then you have two shows of your own every Thursday and Friday, man. Is it, it's hard to not spread yourself a little bit thin, isn't it? I mean, you do a really good job. And obviously people love hearing what you got to say. But at the same time, when you balance that with a real life, a real job, a real relationship in real life, like I said, it uh, spreads you a little bit thin, doesn't it? Well, I'm flattered that you think I have a real life. Pat, I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I was reflecting with my wife, I think yesterday, I said that there was a seven day stretch just recently where I was on seven podcasts. Wow. In seven days. I I did. I did uh, Joe Miller's pod on Buffalo Fanatics. I did Jay Spence, the King's pod on Buffalo Fanatics. I did the Sean McDermott breaking news signed extension pod. I did a Deion Dawkins signed extension breaking news pod, both for Buffalo rumblings. I did my own Friday show on Buffalo rumblings. Then Saturday I was on the buff hub, which is another Buffalo rumblings show that recently Mm -hmm. debuted on Saturdays. And then also we rebroadcasted one of my favorite episodes that I've ever been a part of of the old Nick Nolan show called the McDermott masterclass on Sunday. 
So in a seven day stretch, there were seven different podcasts that I was on. And I think, I mean, it was like locked on Bruce. That's really what it was. It was locked on Bruce. <laughs> locked on and, Bruce. and I, you know, I, so far people have not come to me and told me that they're sick of me. Now, part of that's probably because they're very polite and I appreciate that. And that's always beneficial when you have, you know, a polite fan base who's not going to openly antagonize you and tell you how sick of you they are. But it's been a challenge for me to make sure that I was properly prepared. And that's really the key. The key is making sure that you're properly prepared, because as long as I have enough time to be able to put in the work necessary to be able to feel like I feel good about the content I'm producing, then OK. But if I'm spread so thin that I'm I'm taking shortcuts and I'm not preparing and I'm doing a, a, an injustice to some of these people who send me out their outlines a couple of days ahead of time and I'm not getting a chance to get to them early, mm -hmm. then in that case, it's too much. So that's how I judge too much. I judge too much by the quality of the content that I'm not able to produce because I've been stretched too thin. So far, that hasn't been happening yet because I'm an extremely organized guy. So I managed to get things done in an organized and prompt fashion. But if it, if it comes to that, then I might have to say, you know what? Uh, my schedule looks good for 2024. How's that sound? And just see if they're still interested in having me on their pod. Well, I'll tell you what, man. One of the best compliments that I give you consistently, well, first of all, first and foremost, is your knowledge of the team and football in general. But aside from that, you are probably, and I'm not just saying this because I got you on the show. No, I've said this before when you're not on the show, you're probably the most prepared person that I've ever had on this show, regardless of whether it's a local person, a national person. You know, a lot of people do this podcast or I do other people's shows too. And I'm kind of the same way as most people. Like I'll ask, I don't want to say any specific names because I'm the same way, but I'll say, Hey, person X, would you like to be on my podcast? And they'll say, sure. When, where? And uh, I'll set a date and a time. And they're like, all right, well, you know, I'll call you or you call me then. And we talk, they really don't even ask what we're going to talk about. Sometimes I don't even know what we're going to talk about, but when you're on my show, well, the last couple of times I've had a specific topic, including today, but you take the time. You're like, all right, so what are we going to talk about? And you know, I might send you a little bit of an outline, but you do your, what I'm basically getting at here long winded is, uh, you do your homework more than anyone else I've ever met, man. That's a, that's real Testament to you. Well, I got to trick people into thinking I'm smart, Pat. See, that's, that's, that's the key. The key is to make sure that you trick people into thinking they're smart. No, no, no. Actually it's, you know, it's part of the growth mindset, you know, the Sean McDermott's always talking about it's the growth mindset. It's if you praise people for their effort, you will get consistently better results than if you praise them for their intelligence. So really you should be commended for that type of praise, because that's going to ensure that you get a better Bruce moving forward than if you just say, hey, Bruce is smart. If you say Bruce is prepared and he works hard and I admire the effort, then you're going to get better results because that's what Sean McDermott says based on Carol Dweck's book. <laughs> All right, fair <laughs> enough. So, <laughs> so today's topic, again, I, I said it at the top, we're power ranking your top 20 Buffalo Bills. I outlined it in the intro before I got you here on the horn. There's three things that you base this on. I want to give you an opportunity before we get into your list to go over those three things so that it's crystal clear to everybody listening so that if you say somebody that's maybe not in a position where you think they should be, at least you've prefaced it by saying the reason why ahead of time. So what are those three things that go into Bruce's methodology of where these guys in the Buffalo Bills, where you're power ranking them? So the first and most important question you have to tackle whenever you're ranking things is criteria. And when you're ranking apples and oranges, 
you have more criteria to deal with. And when you rank players across the team and they're all playing different positions, the first most important question you have to tackle is, are you taking positional value into account? And the answer on this for this purposes of this ranking is no, we are not taking positional value into account. Therefore, a great example of this would be that if if we were back in the mid 2000s for a while there, we joked that Brian Mormon was the best player on the team, even though he was the punter. And mm-hmm. that actually was true, which was sad. But if that was the case, then Brian Mormon would be really high on this list if this list was taking place during that time, regardless of the fact that punters are less important than wide receivers and offensive tackles and pass rushers, things like that. The fact that he was the best at his position would have put him high on this list. So really, the question that we're asking when we rank these things is how good are these players relative to the rest of the league at their position? So if you have one person who's top five in the league at their position, and you have another person who's top 20 in the league at their position, it doesn't matter what the positions are. The person who's top five at their position is going to be ranked higher on this list than the person who's top 20 at their position. So that's really, really important. And the reason why I chose to do it that way is because everyone was all talking about the NFL top 100. And the NFL top 100 is not positionally balanced. I know this because if it was, all top 15 of the players would be quarterbacks because quarterbacks are the most important position on the field. So that's not the case. I mean, Aaron Donald is consistently in the top five, right? Because he's a fantastic player. Now, he doesn't play the most important position on the field. And if positional value was being weighted, Aaron Donald would be behind players who are less talented than him, but play a more important position. So that's the really, 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 really important that we understand that. The second thing is that this is not based on the projection or ceiling of the player. This is a snapshot of where they are right now and their current effectiveness relative to their position around the league. This is not based on stealing ceiling. This is not based on projection. This is not based on what they could be, what they might be. This is not ifs and or buts. This is where they currently are. The third thing is that there's no rookies. No rookies at all. I'm not going to project out a rookie because you can't take a snapshot of a player's NFL career if they haven't had one yet. Right. So that makes it pretty easy to exclude rookies. So using those three points, it's really important we get the methodology right. I'll never, ever, ever forget every single time someone posts a mock draft before the season is over. Inevitably, if you go to the comment section, someone will say, well, how did you arrive at that? Even though it says in the preface to the mock draft, this is based on reverse Super Bowl odds per Las Vegas right now. And someone will chime in and go, well, the Bills will never pick at 27. Or the Washington football team will never pick at four. But you're not paying attention. I, I, I didn't select that. I just chose this based on that methodology. So. Much like that, I'm very confident there are people who do not listen to this methodology, will completely ignore it, and still rip me for those things. And I'm okay with that, because now that I've said it, if you do it, now you look like a schmuck. Because if I don't (laughs) give you the methodology and you rip me, then I look like a schmuck. And I'm all about having you. No, I'm just kidding. So that's the methodology, and I think it's important we get that right before we dive in. Absolutely. And one other thing, too, before we dive in, sometimes when I have a guest on, Look, I might have a whole notebook full of stuff. Sometimes I might have a couple sentences in an outline. Bro, I got your Twitter handle and the dates that you have your podcast, so I didn't forget. 
Aside from that, I'm looking at a blank sheet right now because I have no idea what your list is. I don't know who's in what order or any of that. So I'm literally finding out just along with the listeners the same time they are. And I kind of wanted it that way because I wanted my thoughts and my reactions to be in real time as well. So having said that, let's get the ball rolling. Some of these, we might spend a little more time talking about the guys and the others, but let's start and we'll count down obviously 20 to one. So let's start at 20. Who do you got at 20? Number 20, I have Vernon Butler. The reason I put Vernon Butler as 20 is if you think about it this way, if you can think about kind of in classes, the people at the very top of this list are what you would call to be very good to elite players at their position, right? The people in the middle of this list would be reasonable players or good players at their position in the NFL. The people at the bottom of this list are okay players or fair players at their position. It's very rare to have a player who is elite show up at 20 on this list. If it is, you have a loaded roster, a ridiculous roster, and the Bills have a good roster. The fact that we have, we can go 20 players deep and I'm still running into reasonable, good, solid players. That's a testament to the work that Brandon Bean has done. I don't think Vernon Butler would have even been in the top 40 on this list this time last year for the Panthers because there was rumors around. They were using the B word with Vernon Butler, and that's bust. But as Vernon Butler started to transition more into that five tech role in the three, four looks that Carolina rolled out, he started to kind of feel a little bit more at home. And one of the things I think is interesting now is that he's the first man up to step in for Star Latulule, ostensibly. And so he'll be playing a different position than number one, he was probably drafted to play. And number two, that he played at his peak of effectiveness last year. And number three, that he played back when there was whispers about him being a bust. So that's really weird. You know, they play him at three tech a lot in Carolina. That didn't work out super well. And then he went to a five tech when they went to three, four looks and he played better there. And now he probably is going to end up playing at one tech for Star Latulule. But he kind of had a breakout sort of year last year for Carolina. I have a little bit of faith that Eric Washington, Bill's defensive line coach who came over from Carolina, knows what he's getting into with Vernon Butler. But Vernon Butler is a completely reasonable player. I think that we'll be glad that we signed him now that Star Latulule is not around. And you don't have to count on Harrison Phillips recovering from an ACL quickly to be able to step in at one tech. So at number 20, I have Vernon Butler. If Jordan Phillips, let's just say he resigned and would, it's safe to say that at least to some extent, now you explain why I'll be playing a lot more of a different position with star opting out this year. But if Jordan Phillips had returned, I would say they might not have signed Vernon Butler, but whether they did or they didn't without naming a specific number where Jordan Phillips had been high on your list based on what your criteria is. Based on the fact that he did have nine and a half sacks last year as a defensive tackle, some holes in his game. But again, without saying a specific number, do you, would you have him pretty high, pretty low in the medium part of your list? I'm, I got to assume he'd be in your top 20 if he were still in Buffalo this year. Yeah, I think he'd be in my top 20. I don't think he'd be super high. I think 2019 is probably where he would have ended up falling. You know, I think a lot of people get seduced by the sack number. But as mm-hmm. I go through this list... As I start going through, okay, is that guy a better player than Jordan Phillips? Is that guy a better player than Jordan Phillips? A lot of these players I'd have. So he could squeak into my top 20 for sure, but he wouldn't have been super high. Okay, good answer. What about number 19? So we got Vernon Butler in 19. What do you got? Or I mean at 20, we got a 19. Josh Allen. I have Josh Allen at 19. 
right off the bat. <laughs> so there is a reason why I made sure I cleared up that methodology very early on. <laughs> I and guess so. That is this. So Josh Allen relative to the rest of the league. Is Josh Allen an above average quarterback? I, I would say no. Is he an average quarterback? Maybe. I think he's below average as a passer and tremendous as a runner. The podcast I did with Joe Miller from Buffalo Fanatics that you mentioned earlier, that was where we were talking about whether or not rushing yardage and rushing statistics need to be included. And I say, yes, that, that is part of playing quarterback in the NFL right now is being able to pick up the necessary yards to be able to keep the sticks and be able to make sure that the defense can't collapse down on those receivers, got to go to a lot more zone looks, things that you need to be able to present a defense. Part of that is quarterback mobility. That's important to be able to present that threat to a defense for a lot of different reasons. And I think Josh Allen's a tremendous runner. I think it's Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson right there at the top. And then the gap between the two of them and everybody else, I think is fairly notable. And I think that that's a reasonable take, but saying that he's a below average passer of the football I also think is a pretty reasonable take. If you take the holistic stats that are used to determine his passing effectiveness, whether that's passer rating or QBR or PFF grade or whatever you want to do, there isn't a singular holistic passing stat that puts him above average in the NFL. So unless you're willing to say that every single one of them is wrong and you as a Bills fan who are completely not biased at all are right, unless you're willing to say that, you have to accept the fact that he's probably below average as a passer and he's tremendous as a runner. And I think overall that equates to him being a perfectly fine quarterback. And if you're a perfectly fine, reasonable quarterback, then I don't know how you expect a ton higher than this. In fact, if I said that exact same statement, that Josh Allen is a perfectly fine, reasonable quarterback, not someone I want to give a mega extension to right now, but a perfectly fine, reasonable, okay quarterback. If I said that, and then Josh Allen ended up being number five on my list, that's bad. Not good. So if you're right. out there and you're feeling your, your, your hair stand up on the back of your neck a little bit, and you get a little prickly. What the heck is Bruce doing? Bruce is coming after my quarterback. Think about this. If you can agree qualitatively with what I just said, that Josh Allen is a reasonable, okay quarterback, and then he shows up at number five, that's bad. That's a bad thing for this football team. That means the talent level on this team is not good enough. If you have an okay player, a player who is okay relative to the rest of their position group in the NFL, and they show up at five, you don't have enough very good to elite talent on that team. And that's bad. So I think that that's important to state as we roll into Josh Allen being 19th on my list as far as that goes. I think last year when the season was over, I asked who the best player on the team was, and I had multiple people say Josh Allen, which I think is absolutely ludicrous when you don't take into positional value into account. When you don't take positional value into account and you just look at it, how good is this player relative to their position group around the league, then I think this is completely reasonable. And that's why I have Josh Allen at 19. That's very fair. And now I really, I mean, I, I got it for the most part when you kind of told me that hey, I, I really need to be able to explain your methodology before. Now I do get it because again, what you just said and people who know that information can process it, whereas somebody who doesn't hear any of that is, is probably losing their mind right now. But this is, I'm so happy that I don't know because my first instinct 
this is audio, not video. You would have saw my eyes pop up. Not that I don't agree, because again, even if I didn't agree, what you said totally sold me on why you have more you do. But like, if this would have been a video, my eyes popped open. I'm like, Whoa, like what? But I get it, man. I get it. All right, we let's should, move on. We then. should do a one-sided so, Zoom video call, Pat. Just you and just a <laughs> blank picture on the other side, just so we can see your reactions to this stuff. So, all right. So we got Josh Allen at 19. There's definitely your first stunner. Well, maybe not a stunner for people who are paying attention to the rules of this, but for a lot of people, this absolutely will be a stunner. So he's 19. What do you got at 18? Dawson Knox. I think Dawson Knox has a potential to be very high on this list. I really do. Of all the players on this list, I think the projection for Dawson Knox between where he is and where he very well may be if we did this exact same exercise one year from now, I think is Dawson Knox. Wow. Dawson Knox has every tool you want to be an elite tight end. Every single tool. Now, I will say catching is a tool, but I'm willing to forgive him a little bit of the drops right now in his career because of how incredibly underutilized he was at Ole Miss because he's a converted quarterback new to position and because tight ends take an exceptionally long amount of time to develop in the NFL. Those three things together make me more willing to give him a little bit of slack on the drops than I would be other positions with other players at other times. Dawson Knox has an ability. Josh Allen said it on his podcast that he talked about with Mark Sanchez. He said, Dawson Knox can be a top 10 tight end in this league. And I believe it. I absolutely believe he's got the tool. He already gives great effort and shows great potential as a blocker. I knew that coming out of Ole Miss, but there was a very, very significant amount of rawness to him because of the conversion from playing quarterback. But if Tony Gonzalez can convert from playing basketball and Antonio Gates can convert from playing basketball and we can have these players like Jimmy Graham convert from playing other sports, then why can't we have someone convert play a quarterback? At least it's the same sport. So right. I, I think that maybe the, the projection for Dawson Knox is way, way higher than this. But in good conscience, I can't put him a lot higher than reasonable because right now I think he is a reasonable tight end. But the ceiling is huge for him. All right, well, let's move on. Let's keep this ball rolling here. What do you got at 17? Brian Winters, the newly acquired Brian Winters. I think Brian Winters is a perfectly passable, rosterable guard. I think Brian Winters actually compares very favorably to John Feliciano with the type of athlete that he is, with the type of mentality he shows. I think that Brian Winters will be able to step in and be a completely reasonable starting caliber guard in this league. And that's really what he's been. He's never been a bad guard. He's never been a great guard. The reason he got cut from the Jets wasn't because he was bad. It was because he was overpaid. It's the same reason why Trent Murphy might not make this team. So you can't say on one hand, cut Trent Murphy, he's a bum. And also Brian Winters is a steal. Because really what you're doing there is you're comparing contracts. And that's not really their fault. Trent Murphy is a completely rosterable player in this league. He's just overpaid. Brian Winters was a completely reasonable starting guard in this league. He was just overpaid at New York or New Jersey, mm-hmm. depending on how petty you're deciding to be. But the important thing here is that you cannot let someone's contract manipulate your opinion of their play. Now, their value can be manipulated by that because value is what you give versus what you get. And what you get is their play on the field. What you give is the contract as an organization. So if you want to say they're a bad value, that's fine. 
but there's a difference between being overpaid and being a bum. And I think that Brian Winters is a perfectly reasonable starting guard in this league. Okay. So that's four. Well, let's round out the first five and we're going to be at number 16 here. So who do you got at 16? The other perfectly reasonable starting guard, Quentin Spain, is 16 on this list. I think that he and Brian Winters are completely reasonable starting guards. And I keep saying completely reasonable because that's the perfect way to describe it is I don't get overly excited. I don't get underwhelmed. They're perfectly reasonable. And the difference between Quentin Spain's outlook with the Buffalo Bills and Brian Winters' outlook with the previous New Jersey slash New York Jets is that Quentin Spain got signed to a much more reasonable contract where he's not going to be expected to be elite to live up to his contract. You don't have to be elite to be a $5 million average annual value guard. You might have right. to be elite to be an 8 or $9 million average annual value guard. And that's the difference. They're similar types of players, but the reason we look at Quentin Spain more favorably than we look at Brian Winters is because he paid less. And so that's really the important caveat to make, kind of make between the two of them. That's very fair. Now, before we continue, I want to say this too, Bruce. I also had jotted down my own list. However, I also, I did not take into account what your rules for the game were. I kind of did my list before we had talked about that. And it's funny because when you started out with Vernon Butler, that's where I had him too. And then obviously we differed much on Josh Allen. But again, I did not use the same methodology that you did. I used something completely different. And uh, I just say that because Quentin Spain, I also had on my list at uh, 16 as well. So at least two of the five, I still would have agreed even without knowing what your, uh, what your methods were for this. So anyway, so that's the first five. Let's continue. Now we've reached uh, number 15. Who you got at 15? At 15 is where we start to get into the, these are players I think are slightly above to notably above average for their positions in the league. And we're going to start off with Devin Singletary. I think that Devin Singletary is a slightly above average running back in this league. He has the vision and contact balance needed to be successful in this league for a long time. He just doesn't have overwhelming physical traits. He's not large. He's not fast. He's quick and he's agile. But 4.66 is not breakaway speed. And if he had that, I think he'd be a lot more dangerous in the open field. There's always going to be limitations to that. But if you have elite vision and elite contact balance, and you have some agility thrown in there the way he does, you can have a long career in this league for a good long time. And that's what I think Devin Singletary is going to have, barring any injuries. I think he's an above average running back. I think said going into this offseason that Devin Singletary needed to be complimented. He did not need to be replaced. There's a really, really significant distinction to be made there. I didn't think we needed to get an RB1 to take his job. I think we needed to get an RB1B or an RB2 to complement his job. And we did that by getting Zach Moss. How do you feel about Zach Moss as a pick? Now, I know he's not on this list because you said no rookies. Did you like that pick? I love that Now that you look back, do you? I loved it. Zach Moss is one of my favorite players in the draft. I wrote an article for Buffalo Rumbling saying, what type of running back should we get to compliment Devin Singletary? And my conclusion was draft Zach Moss. That was weeks before the NFL draft. So you know I'm a fan. Because Zach Moss has those same two traits. The two most important traits in a running back, in my opinion, are vision and contact balance. And if you give me those, I'll show you a productive running back. Now, obviously, would you like them to be explosive as well? Sure. 
Would you like them to have great size as well? Sure. Those things are great, but those aren't foundational pieces. Those are added pieces. So if you give me foundational pieces, I'll be satisfied. And that's what I think Zach Moss is. He's foundational pieces. He has the vision. He has the contact balance. Now, I think he's a little bit more of a downhill runner than Devin Singletary is. But overall, they share those two main things in common. And I think if I have two young, talented running backs that are cheap on rookie deals, I think you can have a productive run game for the next three years. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's move on. Number 14. What do you got? Quentin Jefferson. I love Quentin Jefferson. I was thrilled when the Bills picked him up in free agency coming from the Seahawks. I think Jadavian Clowney was obviously the bigger name. Quentin Jefferson, I don't know if this is a hot take. Maybe this is a hot take. Quentin Jefferson was a better pass rusher last year than Jadavian Clowney. Hmm. I, I actually don't think that was that hot of a take. I really don't think anyone who followed the Seahawks or spent any time working on them would say that that's a hot take. But it's going to sound like a hot take because of Jadavian Clowney's name and how big his name is. But Quentin Jefferson did a lot of inside-outside work for the Seahawks, and he did it effectively. Everywhere you put him, he was effective. And I was thrilled to replace Jordan Phillips with Quentin Jefferson. I think that's a significant upgrade, replacing Jordan Phillips with Quentin Jefferson. I think he's going to be a great player. I think Bill's Mafia has got a chance to see him this year and be like, holy cow, who's, the, who's that guy? We got to get him on the field more. And at some point, we're going to start to think that Ed Oliver and Quentin Jefferson are the best combo of three tech interior pass rushers in the league. That's how good the two of them can be. And Ed Oliver is a great player already and has a great ceiling. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about him later. Hint, hint, wink, wink, spoiler, spoiler. But <laughs> Quentin Jefferson is a good player in and of his own right. And he shows up here at 14 on my list. Okay, I like it. Let's move on to uh, number 13. Keep this ball rolling. Number 13, Cole Beasley. I like Cole Beasley quite a bit. He's one of my favorite players on the team. Uh, I think that the idea that being a team player and having a character means you're going to shut up and spew football cliches, I think gets kind of spat in the face by Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley is a very outgoing, very talkative guy. And this idea that we're going to be a kind of a muted, no personality dude, and that's the kind of guy you're going to get from a team player is not true at all. Cole Beasley's absolutely got some swag to him. I don't know if you ever heard him rap, but he's got some bars too. <laughs> yeah, he can rap. I think that if Cole Beasley was in an offense that was specifically predicated around him, he could be a hundred catch a year kind of guy. That's the kind of talent I think he has. Now, that's not what this offense asks him to do, but he still had a really good year last year in his first year in a system that's really not built around making sure that option routes over the middle and those long handoffs to slot receivers are really a foundational part of the offense. Now, they matter. They're part of the offense, but it's not the bread and butter of this offense. And because of that, I think that maybe sometimes people sleep on him a little bit, but I think that Cole Beasley's addition really, really helped Josh Allen on third down quite a bit last year. He really looked to Cole Beasley to be able to win in man coverage a lot last year. And I think that having 11 personnel with Diggs, Brown, Beasley is going to open things up a lot more the way that it was opened up for this offense at the back half of last year and having Diggs pull coverage away from Brown and Beasley is going to get a chance to even see you more effectiveness from that position. I don't know if he's going to get more targets. I don't know if he's going to get more receptions, but I guarantee you'll start to see one of the reasons why I think he's such an effective player. Okay. I like that. What do you got at number 12? The other wide receiver, John Brown. 
big John Brown fan. When we were doing a podcast leading up to free agency in 2019 on Buffalo Rumblings, I said that ideally I'd really like to get either John Brown or Cole Beasley. And we got both. So I was really happy about that. Sure. I think that John Brown was right. He isn't just a deep threat guy. And see, now we know that because we've had an entire year of him running all sorts of routes and making Miami cornerbacks look foolish in man coverage. That was the John Brown game, right? But coming into last year, John Brown was pretty adamant. You know, I'm not just a, a deep threat guy. I'm not a gimmick. You know, I'm not Devery Henderson here. I'm not Ted Ginn. I am a full grown receiver and I am a full route tree receiver. And he got a chance to prove that. And I'm happy for him that he had the best season of his career with Josh Allen throwing in the ball in this offense. And he's proven he can do it. Josh Allen made a mention of John Brown and specifically said the way that he runs routes so hard in practice, it was a level of professionalism that they weren't necessarily used to. Not that people are slacking, but John Brown competes every single snap like his life depends on it because he does have a chip on his shoulder. You know, he's a pretty soft-spoken guy, but if you listen real carefully, there's a fire burning down deep inside because he feels like he got typecasted and Buffalo gave him a shot last year to not be typecasted. And I think that that's valuable. And I think that he's proven to be an above average wide receiver two in this league. Now, he was miscast a little bit as a wide receiver one last year, but I think Diggs, Brown, Beasley is a fantastic wide receiver trio. And having Brown not be able to be doubled and not get the number one corner is going to ratchet up that chemistry that Josh Allen has. Because if you think about it, if Josh Allen develops good chemistry with Stephon Diggs, that gives him three receivers now he's got good chemistry with because he and Cole Beasley have good chemistry now. They didn't at the beginning of last year. You'll always remember the kind of the the scoop drop that happened week one against the Jets where Cole Beasley kind of tossed it into the hands of CJ Mosley who returned it for a touchdown. But yeah, as the year went on, specifically the Dallas game, and as the year went on, we started to play more in 11 personnel. That's that started to come around and the evident chemistry was already there with John Brown. So now if you can get it with Stefan Diggs too, it's going to be pretty. I'm ready for it. Do you almost feel like John Brown as good as he was last year? It kind of goes under the radar now. Like nobody even really thinks much or talks about it. It's understandable to an extent because Stefan Diggs was obviously the big addition. Josh Allen's a quarterback. He's always going to get the headlines. Uh, you know, is Trey White going to opt out or not? That's a big storyline. Lots of storylines, but it's like, I feel like John Brown's season last year just really is under the radar. He didn't play the last game. Let's just assume he played the last game and he would have had 45 yards receiving. That's very fair to expect that. He would have ended up in the top 10 for single season all-time receiving yards for this franchise last year. You know what I'm saying? I, I feel like uh, his efforts almost go under the radar and I, I, I agree with every single thing that you said. And I think that he could be alive for another big year because of all the attention that's going to be paid to uh, Stephon Diggs. I love John Brown. I agree with you. And I really think that there's an important point to be made about John Brown. I'm glad you said something there because it allows me to add this that I forgot to add previously when I was talking was Josh Allen was not good throwing the deep ball last year. That's not a secret. But throwing a deep to John Brown, he was a lot better. So if Josh Allen really does fix his deep ball, the number one beneficiary of that might be John Brown. And so you might end up with fewer targets, fewer receptions, but close to the same amount of yards because the yards per reception will go up through the roof because Josh Allen's able to connect on some of those deep balls that he missed against the Giants, against the Dolphins, 
against the Bengals, things like that. And I think the number one beneficiary of those deep shots is going to be John Brown. And so if you get a couple of those per season, the way that John Brown put Stefan Gilmore in the blender, I think that that will help kind of offset any decrease in targets that he might have. All right, let's move on. We're at number 11. Number 11, Mario Addison. Mario Addison is the quietest, quietest sack guy I think I've ever heard of. Yeah. He just consistently gets nine a year and nobody blinks an eye about it. And ideally, in a, in a perfect world where justice is served to everybody involved, Mario Addison wouldn't still be able to do this because it's not fair to the rest of us. It's not fair to the rest of us who are not elite quality athletes to be able to have a guy like that consistently get nine sacks a year because Mario Addison is a compression rusher, which is very, very different than being that elite speed, flashy guy off the sidelines. Mario Addison is everything that we thought and hoped Shaq Lawson would evolve into. That compression rusher uses the hands. Everything that we want to see AJ Apinesa become, the maybe not necessarily has the bendy speed, but wins with their hands, doesn't give up rush lanes when they're rushing, things like that. That's what, that's what Addison already is. The thing we were hoping Shaq Lawson would become, the thing that we're hoping AJ Apinesa would become, that powerful, heavy-handed, win-with-your-hand usage, win-with-the-bull-rush, you know, that kind of player is what Mario Addison already is. So if you're looking for the type of player that you would like AJ Apinesa to become, look at what Mario Addison already is. And so I think that those players, the style of player doesn't get as much pub because the highlights aren't super flashy. Walking a tackle back into the lap of the quarterback isn't really fun to watch on SportsCenter. Hmm. It just isn't. But it's just as effective with less holes in the game because you're not rushing four yards upfield and opening up draw lanes underneath you when you rush the passer. So if you're capable of going through a dude, hey, dude, the shortest distance between any two points is a straight line. So don't tell me compression rushing doesn't have a place in the NFL because there's plenty of rushers who have made an entire career on it. And you're going to put some respect on Mario Addison's name because he's been doing it effectively (laughs) for a long time. Let's review the first 10 before we get into the final 10. So you have Vernon Buller at 20, Josh Allen, a surprise to some, at least I'm sure, at 19, Dawson Knox at 18, Ryan Winters at 17, Quinn in Spain at 16, 15 is Devin Singletary, 14 is Quinn and Jefferson, 13, Cole Beasley, 12, John Brown, and 11, Myro Addison. All right, so we hit the top 10 now. Let's start there. What do you got at 10? Jerry Hughes at the top 10. Jerry Hughes still has something in him. He's played really, really hurt last year, but I actually think that 2018 was one of the best years of his career in 2018. Ignore the sack numbers for a minute because sack numbers can be misleading sometimes and really, really watch him. And although Mario Addison getting nine sacks a year is impressive, sacks by themselves just isolated in a vacuum are not the only thing that quantifies pressure. You can quantify pressure through hurries or pressures or whatever you want to use. And I understand that that's a subjective stat, but just because it's a subjective stat doesn't mean he doesn't have value. And so Jerry Hughes is still a good player. And the fact that they're willing to extend Jerry Hughes, despite the fact that he's probably not idealistically the style of player that they would have elected to choose. You know, why I know that because 
They drafted AJ Epinesa. They signed Mario Addison. I just mentioned compression rushing. That is kind of the thing. If you look back at the players that the Panthers had during Sean McDermott's era there, you look at players like Mario Addison, right? You look at players like Greg Hardy, right? Who were there. You look at players like that. You think there's a specific style they were going for. Charles Johnson. These are compression rushers. All of them have the same style. One of these things is not like the other, and it's Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes is still a bursty, bendy pass rusher. And although he can win with other moves, the fact that they're willing to extend Jerry Hughes, despite the fact that he doesn't seem to match the style of the player that they would otherwise prefer, should tell you what the coaching staff thinks of Jerry Hughes. He's good enough as a player that we're willing to necessarily depart from our norm to make sure we keep him around because we value his contributions. Jerry Hughes is still a good player. I'm excited to see what he's able to do now that he's healthy again, because I think 18 was a really good year. If you just look at the sack numbers, you're going to think he's trailing off. And I don't think that's the case. I'll let you know when I see it, but I haven't seen it thus far. Okay. Uh, Let's go to number nine. Who do you got at nine? Ed Oliver, number nine. You might Hmm. think, Bruce, this is a little early. No, no, it's not. If anything, it might be a little low. Ed Oliver is a very, very good football player right now. I was yelling at people on social media and through my podcast every single week early on in 2019 who wanted to tell me Ed Oliver was a bust. I said it was ridiculous. Defensive tackle is historically a very, very difficult position to come in and transition well. There was all this data from Aaron Donald all the way down to every other effective three technique in the league saying, hey, you know, the first half of the high top 10 pick three technique defensive tackles career might not be splashy, but there were still too many. Oh, well, he's too small. Oh, well, it's not. It's not effective. First off, he's changing positions. Well, no, he's not. He's a defensive tackle. No, no, he was changing positions. He played directly over the center in a zero tech. And he specifically came out and said this offseason that there were techniques that he learned in that position that were his bread and butter that served him almost no purpose in his new position. I'll, I'll pound the table until I'm, I'm, I'm swollen on my fist. One technique and three technique defensive tackle are different positions. They share some similarities, but they're different positions. Zero tech to three tech is a different position. He was learning a new position. So he's coming from Houston. He's learning a new position and defensive tackle takes a long time to establish themselves in the NFL. But yet somehow we were expecting immediate production from Ed Oliver despite everything I just said, which is ludicrous. Back half of last year, Ed Oliver was our best defensive lineman. And the fact that you had a 340-pound man in Jordan Phillips on skates against the run game, while a 287-pound man generously was anchoring down and taking double teams, proves that size is not the only thing that matters when it comes to run defense. He was one of the better run defenders on this team coming down the stretch, and he was one of the better interior pass rushers, and he was getting double teamed a lot. So if the film looks good, and if he's getting double teamed a lot, that means other teams know he's really good. He's a good player. Ed Oliver's a good player right now. Could he eventually be in the top four on this list, top three on this list? Yes. I think that the biggest jump possible on this list from this time to this time next year is Dawson Knox. I said that already. But the second biggest jump is from Ed Oliver, and he's already at number nine. 
there's a very reasonable chance we have this discussion next year, Pat. And Ed Oliver is number two on this list. That's a very reasonable possibility. That's how much potential the guy has. And I'm not here for your Ed Oliver slander. I'm just not here for it. I was just going to ask, I was getting ready to ask you that. If there's a guy or two on the scene that you think can move up the most in one year, I would think that Ed Oliver would be a prime candidate for it because uh, you said it, second half, back half of the year, he was probably the most talented player on this defensive line and he's going to be better this year. When it comes to Ed Oliver, by the way, with everything that went on this offseason, the arrest, and it turns out that he didn't do anything wrong. Are you impressed with the way he handled everything? Could not possibly be more impressed. You know, I think a lot of people would lash out at the injustice of what he went through and how this is unfair. And the fact that Ed Oliver said the truth will set you free in his in his press conference, I think is it shows a level of emotional maturity to Ed Oliver that I think is important, especially considering the fact that Gil Brandt once famously said that Ed Oliver would be, quote, a pain in the ass, end quote, to coach after he got drafted. And mm-hmm. so far, there has been zero indication of any of that. And Ed Oliver has been a model professional and a model citizen off the field. And the fact that he handled himself with such grace really speaks to the type of person he is. I am very impressed and I, I commend him for his method. Not, I mean, you know, Ed, when you're listening to this podcast, because I'm sure he's a, a frequent listener to a future award-winning Talking Buffalo <laughs> podcast with Pat Moran. But Ed, if you're listening to this, I commend you. Not that my commendation means anything because it doesn't. I'm a nobody. But I, I've been really impressed with the way Ed Oliver's handled himself. Yeah, I really have as well. And I mean that too. I'm not just saying I sincerely mean it. All right, let's move on. What do you got at number eight? Deion Dawkins, Mr. $60 million man, Deion Dawkins. He is an above average left tackle in this league, and I think he's trending upwards. I don't think he's an elite left tackle. This contract pays him like the seventh best, roughly, tackle in the league. I don't think he's the seventh best tackle, but by the end of this contract, I think this is going to look like a deal, especially considering Laramie Tunsil just got 22 mil and blew the doors off the market. So if you're able to get a starting caliber above average left tackle for 15 mil a little bit after someone else blows the doors off the market, yeah, I think that's a win. So for me, Deion Dawkins is a team captain, which I know doesn't matter for the purposes of this discussion because it's about his play on the field. But the, it's the method by which he acquired the captainship that I think is important. He acquired it by recognizing that 2018 was a bad year for him and changing his diet and changing his workout regimen and making the adjustments necessary. And that that adjustment played itself out on the field and it played himself out because his teammates saw it. So the reason why he was voted a captain was the same reason why he had a bounce back year. Now, in addition to that, you put Quentin Spain next to him instead of Vladimir Dukas. And that probably helps too, because Deion Dawkins <laughs> flat out said, hey, I got away with yeah. some stuff my first year because I had an all pro in Richie Incognito next to me. I got away with some stuff and I didn't get away with that when Vladimir Dukas was there. He said not to hate on anybody. <laughs> I really appreciated right. his his respect right there for Vladimir Dukas. But Quentin Spain is a perfectly reasonable left guard. Vladimir Dukas is not on a roster in the NFL. So that matters. But Deion Dawkins is an above average left tackle. And when you're above average, you end up in this part of the list. Well, let me ask you this. If we were doing this, our ranking a year previous to this, I'm, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I feel like there's a good chance that Deion Dawkins might not have even been on your top 20 because we would have been basing it on how he played in 2018. I thought he was horrible, but again, in fairness to him, who was playing next to him, 
And that entire offensive line in 2018 was like freaking historically bad. But based on his improvement last year and where he is right now on your list, is it safe to say that he's one of, if not maybe the most improved player? Like if I were going to ask you right now, instead of doing a power ranking, who was your most improved Buffalo player last year? Would he rank pretty high up there? Or did you already think higher of him than I did going into the season? He would be number one on the list. Yeah. He'd be the most improved Buffalo Bills player who was on the team in 18 and also on the team in 19. More improved than Josh Allen. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, well, let's move on. And what do you got here? We're at, uh, we're at seven. What do you got? Number seven, Tremaine Edmonds. Tremaine Edmonds has work yet to do, but the ceiling is creeping ever closer for Tremaine Edmonds. There's still a significant gap between where he is and where he could be because really there's nothing he can't do. There's nothing that Tremaine Edmonds can't do. He is the elite of the elite when it comes to athleticism. And when the other traits, aside from just athleticism, when the ability to use his hands to get off blocks, when the ability to diagnose plays a little bit better, when those things start to come around for him, he can be one of the best at his position in the league. I don't think he's one of the best at his position in the league right now, but I think he's an above average middle linebacker. And Tremaine Edmonds is one of those players where every single year, a couple games at a time, you start to see a little bit more, a little bit more. And that's the kind of trajectory you want from someone who was that young when he came into the league. You want just a little bit better. Every single, every couple of games, you start to see a new version. You know, I think we're on, you know, Tremaine Edmonds, you know, 6.0 at this point in his career. He's an absolute terror in zone coverage. It is just, it is so infuriating if you're a quarterback to see a middle linebacker that size because it's a little bit like playing basketball. You know, you get that length in basketball. It takes away the passing lanes. I know you're an NBA guy, Pat. You have famously sure. said that you would take the NBA uh, over the Sabres if you had the opportunity to trade Any them. Day. And that has that has gone over super well with the Buffalo fans. And But you know that length on the defensive end really closes up those passing lanes. It's the same thing in football. We don't think about it, but we should. And so that doesn't just apply to corners. It applies to any sort of player who might be in coverage. In this case, in zone coverage, Tremaine Edmonds is a problem. Long arms, tall. You've seen some scenarios where quarterbacks have tried to kind of kind of aim the ball over top of him when he drops into a backpedal or in an RPO where they're trying to get it behind him or around him. And it creates problems. And right now, I would argue he's a very, very good zone coverage defender. Now, in man coverage, there's still some things he needs to work on. Him being tall, him having a, a high amount of hip elevation kind of hurts him with the ability to run with running backs on like Texas routes and out routes and things like that. Matt Milano is, I think, is better in that position than he is. But there are going to be some things that Tremaine Edmonds is just capable of doing because he's a freak. And that's just the way it is. And right now, if he never improved, he'd still be an above average linebacker, which puts him here at number seven on my list. Very fair. All right, let's uh, keep this ball rolling. I, I I feel like I should stop saying keep this ball rolling. The ball's been rolling enough. What do you got at uh, number six? Matt Milano, number six. You might wonder why Matt Milano is ranked higher than Tremaine Edmonds. I think that there's part of the Bills fandom that I think is starting to maybe mentally distance themselves from Matt Milano with right. the fear that he might yeah. be walking next year. There's a fear of that. And I think because of that, some of the subconscious starts to come in that, well, he's not as good as Tremaine Edmonds. I actually think that last year for a big stretch of the year, Matt Milano was the second best player on our defense. 
Matt Milano can play man coverage better than Tremaine Edmonds. Matt Milano runs the ball. I think he has really, really, really good instincts. And I think that Matt Milano is going to get really paid as a linebacker. And I think Bills, are go- Bills fans are going to be really surprised if he doesn't come back. What a 4-3 defensive team will pay him. Assuming that there's a cap smoothing agreement reached and we don't have a market problem next year. Because if the cap really does drop down to 175, that's going to depress some free agent salaries. And that might not be you know, the example that we can use with Matt Milano. But I think Matt Milano is a very, very good linebacker. I think that the combo of them together, I think I did a pod with with uh, the Buff Hub on Buffalo Rumblings, and he asked me to rank where I put the Bills linebackers versus other people's linebacker duos, and I had him in the top six. And I think that's reasonable. They're both above average players. I don't think either one of them is super elite, the elitist of the elite, but they're very good, and that's where Matt Milano shows up. I'm going to be very interested as long with everybody else here, seeing how these top five play out for you. Before that, though, so 10 through 6, we had Jerry Hughes at 10, uh, Ed Oliver at 9, Deion Dawkins at 8, Tremaine Edmonds at 7, and Matt Milano at 6. All right, so these are five very good players left. We've reached it. Top five. Uh, who do you got? Number five, Jordan Poyer. Jordan Poyer is... Jordan Poyer is a box safety who can do so much more than that. This idea that he's just a box safety, right, will never get applied to him the way it gets applied to some other players. You know, it's not going to get applied to him the way it got slapped on Jamal Adams. And Jordan Poyer can do all those things. He can blitz. He can come up and, and pull a trigger and run downhill and support the run really, really well. He's got great instincts in the run game. He knows, okay. This gap, I'm shooting this gap. And he does a great job. And that's all, those are all traits that good box safeties have, but he's not just that. So he has elite level box safety skills. However, he's not a box safety. He can very easily swap out and play deep and make sure he robs in the middle and play. You can give him a deep third and be fine. You can give him a deep half and he has the range. You can have single high and he'll choose right. That is the versatility that someone like Jordan Poyer gives you. Jordan Poyer says, I have all these box safety skills, but if I have to cover half the field, if you give me more real estate to cover, you're not going to be upset because I have to do that. Because that's really what box safeties kind of serve as their Achilles heel. Is you say, yeah, he's a box safety, but he's basically a linebacker. If you have to give him half the field to cover, if you give him a lot of real estate and say, okay, Jordan, this is your thing, you're going to be in trouble. That's what the Bills would be in if they asked Jaquan Johnson to do that job. I love Jaquan Johnson, but Jaquan Johnson is a limited athlete. And if you asked him to cover half the field, his instincts better be absolutely on point at all time because he doesn't have the range. But a lot of times you don't find those elite box safety skills with the range that's necessary to be able to play single high, half field. But Jordan Poyer has it. He's a very, very good safety in this league. And that's why he shows up at number five. All right. What do you got at number four? Number four, Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs is an elite wide receiver. These are where the top four on this list, I would call them elite. That's what I would call them. And Stefan Diggs is an elite wide receiver. I don't think he's a top five wide receiver. I think he's a top 10 wide receiver in the league. Mm-hmm. I think he's very good. I think that there was sort of a weird narrative about him last year in Minnesota 
because Adam Thielen did so well, I think there was a lot of snickering and he's not even the best receiver on his own team. I think Adam Thielen's a fantastic receiver. I don't think you have to put one of them down to appreciate the other one. And I think Stefan Diggs also does well the things that we need him to do well in order for him to mesh with Josh Allen. One of the things that gave Josh Allen so much trouble last year was pressure and man coverage. Those two things in combination gave him trouble because it forced him to have make quick decisions against corners that were you were forcing your wide receivers to separate quickly against. So I got to pull a quick trigger and I've got to find a receiver open quick. And we didn't have enough ability to beat man coverage on the outside last year. And now we do because Stefan Diggs can shake you in a phone booth. And so that helps that Stevie Johnson ish sort of ability to create space and create separation is what Stefan Diggs has. Josh Allen splits against zone last year. were actually pretty good. But the thing is that I think that when teams started to realize that we can go man and pressure and it will solve two birds with one stone, it will keep Josh Allen compressed in the pocket. As long as we don't do anything crazy with zone blitzes and create gaps, if we just bring six and they have block five, we can force Josh Allen to stay in the pocket as long as we stay disciplined and we can force him to make a quick decision. And he doesn't have anybody who can separate. So that's why people started to do that against Josh Allen. They said, we can kill two birds with one stone. We can stop him from running and we can take advantage of the fact that he's not great against man because he doesn't have receivers who can separate quickly. Well, he has to be able to make them pay. And he didn't make them pay because he missed on all the deep balls and he didn't have anyone who could separate short. Stefan Diggs can do that at an elite level. He's one of the top three route runners in the league. And if you think route running is an elite trait to have on a wide receiver and you think Stefan Diggs is elite at that, then by the transitive property, Stefan Diggs is elite. If you think yeah. he's an elite route runner and you think route running is an elite trait, then he's elite. And that's what I think he is. This is really fascinating stuff there. All right, so we've reached the top three. I know who the guys are. Just again, I'm finding this out right along with the fans, so I have no idea what's coming next. Uh, so we've reached three. Who do you got? Mitch Morse. Mitch Morse is one of the best centers in the league. And because he's a center and we signed him to a deal that made him the highest paid center in the league, I think it was a little bit like that perception of value you and I talked about before. He -hmm. didn't overachieve his contract, but he didn't underachieve his contract either. We paid him like the best center in the league, and he was one of the best centers in the league. So everyone just kind of went along their merry way and said, sure, yeah, okay, cool. (laughs) But that that doesn't mean we should take away from his eliteness. Mitch Morse is also one of the few people on the Buffalo Bills line that can do equally as well in pass protection when hunkering down and on the move. I have often opined that one of the reasons why the screen game for the Buffalo Bills was not ideal last year was because we don't necessarily have the offensive line for it. Quentin Spain, Deion Dawkins, John Feliciano, Cody Ford, Ty Secchi. These are not players who you think, you know what? That's an athlete I want running in open space. They're, they're road graders. A lot of them are. Deion Dawkins is a violent, strong man. So is Quentin Spain. So is Cody Ford. And so Mitch Morse is kind of one of these things is not like the other. Mitch Morse is, is an athletic center who I was wondering if we would look at because I thought he might be a better fit in a zone-based scheme when it comes to running the ball. But if we can find a way 
to utilize Mitch Morse as much as humanly possible, pulling and getting out in space, maybe using some middle screens more so than screens on the edge, maybe using some bubble screens and some tunnel screens to be able to not have the linemen have to run quite as far out of their way. I think we can still generate a screen game because of what Mitch Morse does for you. If Mitch Morse was a road grading, plowing 340 pound center, I don't think the chances of the Bills having a screen game would be at all. Zero chance because we don't have the lineman for it. Right. But that one person changes the paradigm. It shifts for the Buffalo Bills. Having that just that one elite piece gives you a shot to potentially have a screen game, be able to have some draws, be able to do some polling plays. Those things are now on the table for you all because you have Mitch Morse. Hmm. I, I got to tell you, man, I might have to withdraw my John Brown being the most overlooked player on his team. And I know Mitch Morse has a huge contract and all, but I never thought of him in the way you just said until you just said it. I don't think many people would have him ranked this high and uh, deserves it. I mean, you're absolutely right. So, yeah. Wow. All right. So we here's the deal, Bruce. So we've reached the final two. Everybody who's been listening along, they all know it's, it's Trey White and Micah Hyde that are left. Them two. Do you want to do one first and then two, or do you want to do two and then go to one? Because obviously go two, it's going to kill the suspense. You want to build up the suspense now and go one and well, then two? If you do one, it's going to kill the suspense for number two. <laughs> That's true. All but right. Well, I mean, what, two, what is I more suspense worthy? All right. Let's just <laughs> let's see the way we've been doing it. We'll go two because I'm, I'm equally, to be honest with you, I'm interested in your uh, your methodology on why these guys are two and one. So. You'll get to that. Let's do that that way. And we'll stay the traditional way. And uh, even though beauty pageants have number one, and then number two is the one who gets kind of left out of it. But we won't do that. We'll start here with two. So who do you got at two? I have Micah Hyde at two. Uh, not surprising. But I think Micah Hyde is an elite safety in this league. Micah Hyde gets zero credit that he deserves. I think Micah Hyde is a top five safety in this league. That's a bold take. I understand that. Yeah, it is. I think Jordan Poyer is a top 10 safety in this league. I think Micah Hyde's a top five safety in this league. Micah Hyde is as good at baiting quarterbacks instinctually as any player in zone I've seen recently. He got the goat, Tom Brady. He got Tom Brady convinced he was going to do one thing and then picked him off and Mm -hmm. basically saved our season right there and said, hey, we got a shot. We got a shot right here to beat the Patriots. Now, we didn't end up beating the Patriots because Matt Barkley and Josh Allen and stuff like that, but we're not going to go into that. But he gave us a chance. You know, everyone was all disappointed in that moment. They were like, oh, well, here comes the Bills are a mirage again, and we're going to lose to the Patriots again. It's going to be a disaster. And then he picked that pass off, and we're all like, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't the same old Bills. And then we lost Josh Allen. Now we have a, a built in excuse as to why we lost that game. So that makes everybody feel better. But. But Micah Hyde, emotionally speaking, kind of turned around that narrative with that one play. But that's not the only thing Micah Hyde does. Micah Hyde, as a deep safety, understands range. And when I say understanding range, I mean understanding spatial awareness. And it's not just about being fast. Everyone talks about playing in space like it's about being fast or being agile. And that stuff matters. That's good. But intrinsically understanding the depth between this guy and me and understanding how fast it will take me to get to that spot and whether or not I can get there before the quarterback's ball gets there is an instinct. That is an instinct that's developed 
And sometimes it never ends up getting there. Sometimes you never end up having that instinct developed where you see people take the wrong angles. When was the last time you saw Micah Hyde take a bad angle on a deep ball? Ever? Not often. Not often. The Buffalo Bills were the only team in the NFL who did not allow a deep passing touchdown last year. Don't come at me and tell me Micah Hyde's not elite. Don't do it. He is the main reason why that's true. Because there have been situations where the corners have been beat deep. Think about this for a second. Think about the corners on this team. Levi Wallace, lots of deep speed? Nope. Tredavious White can be had by speed, deep speed. It's been proven he can be had by deep speed. But yet even that, our two starting cornerbacks, both are susceptible to the deep speed. And not once did we get beaten for a deep touchdown. How can you marry those two seemingly disparate facts? Two starting quarterbacks who are both capable of being beaten deep. And we never give up a deep touchdown. You know the answer? Micah Hyde. Micah Hyde is the (laughs) eraser. He's the equalizer. He's an elite safety. Come fight me. Number two on this list. (laughs) All right. So, but anyway, we've reached one. We know it's Trey White. Why is it Trey White to you? Because he's a top two cornerback in the league. So, if you think Micah Hyde's a top five safety, you think Mitch Morse is a top five center, you think Stefan Diggs is a top 10, if you'll notice, that, I mean, look, look at the list, right? So Tredavious White, top two at his position. Then Micah Hyde, mm-hmm. Mitch Morse, top five at their position, in my opinion. Then Stefan yeah. Diggs, Jordan Poyer, top 10 at their position. Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds as a group, top six at their group, probably top 15-ish individually. Yeah. Then you have Deion Dawkins, top 15. Ed Oliver, top 15. Jerry Hughes, maybe top 25. Yeah. Mario Addison, top. You see how this starts to go. And this is the reason why they're ranked that way. And this goes back to Mm -hmm. the methodology. Well, if you have someone who's top two at their position, regardless of whether or not the position is starting corner or punter, you have to put them at the top. And in this case, Travis White, I think, is the second best cornerback in the league. And I don't think it's close. I think the gap between Gilmore, White, and everybody else is fairly notable. And I think the thing that makes Tredavious White special is that he doesn't really have a lot of weaknesses aside from being able to be beaten with a deep speed and having someone over the top who plays as well as the Bills safeties do means that the one thing Tredavious White is bad at, you can't take advantage of. That's what makes him so good. If the Bills played a ton of cover zero, I think Trey White's weakness would be exacerbated more. But that's not what happens. So quarterbacks look at Trey White. They look at the scouting report that say, hey, he's got this one weakness, but we're not going to be able to take advantage of it. You need to have stellar quarterback play and stellar route running and stellar protection to be able to take advantage of the thing that Trey White doesn't do well. And you're not always going to get that. But Trey White is as good as there is in the NFL of anticipating route concepts and knowing what is coming in front of him and being able to have his eyes in front of him and see something develop and go, Hey, this is a smash concept. I know this. I know what's coming. So I'm just going to run this route. And while I'm running this route, I'll have the receiver in my back pocket. I'm not even going to be in his back pocket. He's going to be in my back pocket. That's how on top of it I'm going to be. And so Travis White has shown the ability to make splash game-changing plays multiple times. The Dolphins game comes to mind. The Steelers game comes to mind. These are games we won in large part due to Tredavious White. So when you're elite lockdown corner, there's two things you need to do. 
make the quarterback scared to throw it at you and punish him if he does. And that's what Tredavious White does. Before I let you go, let me ask you this. It was very, it was a drama filled time period for Bills fans. Understandably so. Trey White, you have him number one on your list. I would say that most experts or even just most casual fans probably feel the same way. Had he opted out, and let's also say this, had he opted out, we would not be bashing and we understand why. Family always will come before football, so that's not what I'm talking about. But from a football perspective only, had Trey White, who's number one on your list, had he decided to opt out, which he almost did, how much would the fortunes of this team change? I mean, you're literally losing your best player, like you said, in your own words. Notably, I think that cornerback is still a valuable position, even in a defense. I think that one of the things that I think we kind of write off as well, it's his own defense. And I, I really, it really bothers me when I hear that. It really bothers me when I hear people go, well, you know, cornerbacks aren't that important. It's his own defense or the athleticism in that isn't that important. It's his own defense. Zone is simply a method of acquiring your target. This is really important. The main difference between zone and man coverage is the method by which you decide where your body is going to go. With zone, right, you decide where your body is going to go, where you're going to place yourself based on people running through your zone, passing off coverages and the quarterback's eyes, your anticipatory traits. With man coverage, you decide where you're going to put yourself based on the predetermined spot where your man's going to be. Now, obviously, I'm leaving out combo coverages, palms coverages, things that are pattern matches because it's a little complicated for the purposes of this discussion. But you still have to get to the spot. Athleticism still matters. The method by which you acquire the place that you're going to go is different. But you still need athleticism to get there. So... This idea that somehow we would have been okay because it's a zone-based defense or Josh Norman's going to be fine because it's a zone-based defense or Levi Wallace is going to be fine because it's a zone-based defense is nonsense. Now, he might be better because the type of athleticism necessary to get to your places and landmarks in zone coverage is not as significant as the athleticism necessary to mirror elite athletes in space, but you still need to be an athlete. And so you still need good cover players, even if you're running a zone defense and going from having an elite corner top two in the league and the best player on this team to having Josh Norman and Levi Wallace be your starters is not great, Bob. We would go from having the best secondary in the league, in my opinion, to a bad secondary based on the loss of one player, even though our safeties are elite, our corners would be a disaster right now. There are significant concerns about the Dallas Cowboys and their corners. Even though that team is loaded with talent, they're concerned about their corners. That's the spot the Bills would have been in if Tredavious White would have opted out. Yeah. I love the fact that of your top five, three of them are in the secondary. I I agree with you. I think the Bills might have the best secondary in the NFL. I'm going to tell you what, too. I'm going to call dibs on this right now. I just looked at the schedule ahead of time. The week of November 22nd, I want to do this again, but I want to do it top 20. Let's power rank the top 20 bills of all time in history. I'm sure someone's going to listen and steal this shit now, but whatever. At least I put it out there first. I need to have you back on for that. That would be something that would be a, a lot of fun. You going to history? I'm here for you, man. I'm here for you. <laughs> all right. Follow Bruce on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Check out the podcast every Thursday and Friday. Dude, no jokes, man. You're number one. 
power ranking on my Bills podcasters, man. I love having you on. I really do. Well, I appreciate that, Pat. I really appreciate you having me on. You've been a huge supporter and been so gracious to me since I started doing this. And I really appreciate your partnership. I appreciate you being willing to have me on here. And I appreciate the conversation, man. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you one more time, Bruce Nolan, one of my absolute favorites to have on this show. Love Bruce. Good stuff as always. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Bruce Exclusive. Check out his podcast. It's one of the very best out there. Not just for Buffalo Bills talk, just a great podcast, period. Go check it out. Also, subscribe to this podcast, of course. We're on all the major podcasting platforms. Subscribe, rate, and review. Really helps me continue to grow this show tremendously. You can also check us out on YouTube. Talk about full podcast YouTube channel. I have highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. I'm sure there will be a couple clips from today's show that will end up there. Also have some original content that's going to be coming very, very soon. Again, that's Talking Buffalo Podcast on YouTube. Then, of course, follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. I'm constantly on Twitter. Podcast promos, upcoming guests, polls, banner with fans, all kinds of stuff, man. I literally am on Twitter all the time, more than anywhere else. So catch me there and thank you. Thank you very, very, very much for listening to the show. I I really do. I truly appreciate it. There's so many good podcasts out there. And when you're locked into this one for 60, 90 minutes, however long the episodes are, it it just means a lot to me. I don't take that lightly. I, I seriously mean it. So Thank you again. Have a good, safe rest of the week. And I'll be back with a brand new show on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.